Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first full episode of our new podcast, This Week in Jewish History and Why You Should Care, a project of Chabad at Stockton University. My name is Mayor Rappaport, and we are going to bring you a fresh take on ancient Jewish history. And in order to do that, we're going to have a co-host each week, a different student, uh, or recent student at Stockton University who can give us a little bit of the second part of the title, why you should care, a fresh perspective, a fresh take of why it's important to learn about our history, learn about our heritage, and apply it to our lives. So joining us today for the first full episode is an amazing friend, an amazing guy, Noah Mays, uh, one of the leaders of Jewish life on campus at Stockton University. Noah, welcome to the program. How you doing? Say hello to everyone. <laughs> hello, everybody. Hello, Rabbi. It's good to be here. Um, excited to uh, learn a thing or two and discuss with you. Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward. Well, before we get started, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? A little bit about your family. What are you majoring in at Stockton? What year are you in? Yeah, so... Uh, I'm a senior communications major at Stockton. Um, I'm a family of six, three siblings and my two parents. I have an older brother, a younger brother and a younger sister. I was born and raised in Ocean, New Jersey. Um, so I've been here my whole life and yeah, looking forward to uh, just learning a lot about Jewish history and, and expressing why it's very important to learn about it and, and care about it. So, no, before we jump into the history of this week, uh, you know, highlighting and talking about some of the things that took place this week in Jewish history, um, I want to get a little bit more of your, you know, your perspective as a Jewish college student in 2021. Um, just in general, what's it like being a Jewish student on, on college campuses today in the U.S.? So tell us a little bit about that. What is it? How, what has it been like for you the last couple of years? So it's been great for me. I mean, the second I got to Stockton, I was already like, I already knew kind of about Chabad. Um, I did some research beforehand. So I knew about you. I knew about David. Um, so I knew there was something there. I didn't, I knew it wasn't big, but I knew that if I met the right people, I could be put in a good situation. So from the get go, we, we, on the first day that I was there, we had the barbecue. So that right off the bat was a good start for me. And then ever since then, I've just been, with Chabad and I've brought people to Chabad and I've brought people to AEPI uh, and I met people through all those different organizations where I can say that even though Stockton isn't a big, a highly populated Jewish school, I was able to find a bunch. For you personally, what, are, what has been some of the uh, major moments that really stand out to you uh, of Jewish pride on campus or, or, or being proud of, of what you as a leader on campus have helped uh, build, gathering Jewish students together, finding the Jewish students, bring them together. What has been a, a proud moment for you? Um, I guess just 
showing off my pride, you know, not being afraid to wear a Jewish necklace around people, you know, knowing that that can bring looks, which I mean, it doesn't at Stockton, but at other schools, it might. Um, doing things like Shabbat dinner, feeling at home, feeling like I, I belong, feeling happy and meeting people that I'm, I still keep in contact with today and I'm still friends with today. Um, you know, the feeling that I'm, I can go to school and, and go to Shabbat dinner and feel like I was at home and feel like I didn't miss out on anything at home. You know, I feel like coming people who come to Chabad, they, they don't expect the home atmosphere, but when they get there, they're like, wow, it actually feels like I'm home. And it makes them more comfortable, makes them more likely to stay down at school instead of going home for weekends, which also helps them make more friends and do more things. That's in addition to the religious aspect of it. Which is learning, also learning about your culture. And if some people, there are some people who don't even know they're Jewish. I know uh, you told the story about that kid, uh, David from Stockton. But, you know, my friend TJ was the same thing. He, he didn't even know. And now he's coming to Shabbat dinners and he seemed to enjoy it. So it's, it's a full circle of events that bring people to where they need to be. Wow. Um, Noah, what is, as a Jewish leader, uh, what is your message to other college students? other Jewish college students, whether they're at Stockton and they're listening to this podcast uh, or they may be at any other university around the country. What is your message about Judaism, about being Jewish on campus? Yeah. Don't be afraid to show off, you know, Um, don't be nervous about wearing a Jewish star, you know, doing a custom that someone like your roommate may not even know. Um, You know, don't be afraid to, not do something just because it's not traditional or not something everybody knows about. You know? Okay. You mentioned the roommate there. No, I'm going to jump in. Yeah. You have to fill in every day. Is that right? Yeah. So have you gotten some looks from roommates, some, some uh, questions, some stares? What's that been like? So my roommate at school, I actually would, I explained to him what it was and, and, and you, you did as well at one point. So he was kind of, ready for it he kind of knew what it was but in the past i've had like overnights with camp or 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 other people and i brought it out and they're like what the heck is that so i've had i have gotten looks from people before but specifically my roommate no he's he's been pretty chill about it and when people do ask it's just it's an opportunity to share a little bit exactly that jewish pride that you were referencing before yeah very cool. Well, listen, let's, thanks for sharing a little bit about yourself. Um, let's get right into the, uh, the history of the week. Um, there's a lot that happened this week in Jewish history, like any week, to be honest. I mean, we have so much history as a nation that um, you literally take any week and there's so much to talk about. So let's run through a couple things that happened this week. And uh, then we'll ask the big question, why should we care? All right, the weekly history, Jewish history roundup. Uh, this week in Jewish history, Sunday, okay? This Sunday, uh, which is the Hebrew date of the 3rd of Tammuz, and we're going to go way back to the beginning of Jewish history and work our way forward. Uh, there was a famous episode where Joshua, the student of Moses, who is bringing the Jewish people from the desert into the land of Israel. Okay, so Moses took the Jewish people out of Egypt 40 years in the desert of traveling and his, and finally his successor, his 
student Joshua is leading the people into the land of Israel, and they were they are conquering the land, and they are battling the the uh, the nations of the Amorites. And what happens is the battle is going in the favor of the Jewish people, but it's starting to get dark. And Joshua knows that if it gets dark, and the enemy has time to escape, regroup, and it, come back the next day to attack again, it's going to be trouble for the Jewish people. So what he does is right there in the battlefield, he lifts his eyes and his, and his hands to the heavens and he says, God, I need some help. And he, and, he, and he commands the sun, Joshua commands the sun to stop in its place as it's setting to give them more time. And that's exactly what happens. The Torah describes that the sun actually pauses in the sky before setting for a few more hours until the Jewish people were able to defeat the enemy, conquer that area of the land, and then the sun continued to set over the horizon. So it's pretty cool. It's, uh, you might say the original daylight savings. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that took place on the 3rd of Tammuz, and that was in the year uh, 1273 BCE, about 3,000 years ago. 3,300 uh, 3, years ago, approximately. Why couldn't they just fight them off at night? Why they need this? Did they need the sun just to see? Or from a practical standpoint, yes, they needed light. Right. Um, and it, you know, they we're talking about ancient times. Uh, there's no night vision goggles. There's no uh, you know laser uh, uh, scope machine guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had to. Uh, they needed the light in order to to be able to defeat the enemy. Yeah. So that was 1273 BCE. Fast forward a couple hundred years, almost a thousand years. So this takes us to 423 BCE. And this is on the 9th of Tammuz, which would be Shabbat of this week, Saturday of this week, Shabbat. Um, and in that, on that day, the Babylonian army led by King Nebuchadnezzar breached the walls of Jerusalem and finally made their way into Jerusalem uh, destroying and killing much of the city and finally make and making their way closer to the temple mount and four weeks later on the ninth of of broken broke through the temple mount and destroyed the temple now there were two holy temples in jerusalem in our history both of them were destroyed on the same day which is the ninth of of which is till this day it's commemorated as a fast day, a very sad day on the Jewish calendar. But what people don't know is uh, while both temples were destroyed on the same day, 490 years apart, the walls of the, of, of the first city of Jerusalem were breached on the 9th of Tammuz. The wall, and the second time around when, when the Romans breached the walls of Jerusalem and eventually destroyed the second temple, that was on the 17th of Tammuz. And because instead of having two separate days to commemorate the breaching of the walls, they were both rolled into one in Jewish tradition. And we fast and commemorate the 17th of Thomas, which is coming up um, in about two weeks as that day that the walls were breached. So uh, a very sad day in the Jewish calendar, the ninth above this week, Shabbat, the end of the week. Uh, moving right ahead, we're going to jump a little bit here to uh, the Middle Ages. There is a great rabbi, by the name of the Maharam of Rothenburg, Germany. Maharam is an acronym for Rabbi Rabbi Meir Ben Baruch. And here's his story. Very interesting. He was the pretty much the greatest uh, Torah scholar and rabbi 
and Jewish leader at that time. And he lived in Germany and anti-Semitism was so bad at that time. This is in 1286, current era. Um, he lived in Germany. Anti-Semitism was so bad that he decided enough. He took his family, he took his, his students, uh, and with his entourage, he made his way to the land of Israel, started traveling to the land of Israel to relocate there, hoping for a better life, uh, a safer life, a life of peace where he could study Torah, continue teaching, etc. While he's on the journey, not far, he is going through the Lombardy region of Italy. Okay, it's the northern region of Italy. When the Archbishop of Mainz, Germany, is traveling there as well, together with a Jew who had converted, and I say quote-unquote converted, because as we know, a Jew will always remain a Jew, no matter what, a fa- what faith they decide to adopt on themselves, they always remain at their core a Jew. So this Jew who, you know, converted to another, to, to, uh, to be a Christian, he sees the Maharam, he recognizes him, he tells that to the archbishop, the archbishop has his soldiers arrest the Maharam, bring him back to Germany, and there he is imprisoned in a fortress. King Rudolf of Germany, the first, he said, he realized, he said, wait a second, this is an opportunity to get some money out of the Jewish people. They love their rabbi so much, they're willing to do anything. They will, they'll pay a ransom. So they, he announced that the ransom is 20,000 silver marks, a tremendous sum of money. And sure enough, the Jewish community, because of their love for the rabbi, pulled the money together. They scraped the money. They visited every Jewish town and city in Germany and scraped the money together, and they brought it to the fortress to redeem the Maharam from prison to pay the ransom. When he found out about it, he said, absolutely not. He said, wait a second. If they see how easy it is to kidnap a rabbi, throw him in prison, and get all this money in ransom, they'll just start keep doing it. Exactly. Right. They'll, They'll just start throwing every big rabbi in Europe into prison. So do you think this was a test for the Jews? Uh, a test from who? From the Germans? Yeah. Like to I don't, see if they'd crack? Uh, it's a good question. I guess you could say it was sort of a test. Take mm-hmm. the rabbi, throw him in prison, see what happens. If, if yeah. it works out well for us, um, let's just keep doing it. So yeah, I guess you can say that was, that, that was a test. Although I don't think they had that motive. They were really, they really were, were real anti-Semites. They really just wanted to kind of crush the spirit and the morale of the Jewish people. And that was the idea of taking the rabbi and throwing him right. in prison in the fortress. So the Maharam said, absolutely not. I will not allow the ransom to be paid. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he sat in prison for seven years. Wow. Seven years, he sat in that fortress alone. And while he was there, he actually authored many Torah books. He spent all day and night studying. That's really all he could do. They gave him like stuff to study with? Yes, they would bribe the guards. They would, you know, figure out ways to get books in there and manuscripts. And okay, this well, actually. Long, so was his sentence originally always going to be seven years, or were they just keeping him in in there? Well, right. after seven years, he died. Okay. So um, he actually died in prison, and even after he died, they would not give up his body until someone paid a ransom. Wow. And fourteen years later, one Jew 
I forget what his name was, but one Jew from Frankfurt, Germany, very wealthy man, he came and paid the ransom for the Maharam's body and his remains to be released. And he said, my only request is when I pass away, I want to be buried next to the Maharam. And in Worms, Germany, uh, till this day, there is the, the tombstone of the Maharam and next to it, this Jew. Wow. So that was that's this week, the, the fourth of Tamas, which is Monday. Mm-hmm. The Maharam was imprisoned on that day. Okay. And when he refused the ransom. I mean, think about that. Think yeah. about that that le- the, the, how much he cared for, for the people. He was literally willing to give himself up. He rotted away in prison. Why didn't they just pay it and go overrule what he was saying? He said, I'm not leaving. He said, if you pay that money, I'm not gonna leave. So that would just be a waste of a waste of money. Yeah, right. That takes courage. That takes uh, care for you know not just yourself but the entire Jewish Jewish community. Did they ever try kidnapping him back? That's a good question. What if they had the Mossad, right? Right. (laughs) Send in some uh, some undercover agents and get him out. These are good questions, Noah, because this brings us to the next. Uh, the next thing that happened this week in Jewish history, mm-hmm. okay? In 1976, a, a, an airplane, an Air France plane flying from Israel to France with 253 passengers on board was hijacked. There was a stopover in Athens. And when they stopped over in Athens, terrorists boarded the plane and hijacked the flight and took it to Entebbe, Uganda. Are you familiar with the story of Entebbe? somewhat refresh so this is this is incredible this is an incredible story Mm -hmm. uh it was the the hebrew date like i said um was i didn't say i didn't mention yet the hebrew date was the sixth of thomas which is this wednesday of this week english date was the i believe it was june 28th okay the terrorists board the flight uh, a group of palestinian terrorists together with um well it's like the plo um, together with a, a few German terrorists, some radical German group. They boarded the flight. They, they hijacked it, diverted it to Entebbe, Uganda. Um, and over there, with the compliance of the dictator of Uganda by the name of I, uh, Idi Amin, that was his name, they basically, they kept the hostages there and they said, we're demanding $5 million ransom for the airplane. I guess that was to the French government. And For the passengers, what they did was they divided them in half. All of the Jewish and Israeli passengers stayed as hostages and everyone else was released. There was a few Holocaust survivors that were there. And when they witnessed that, they said it was just a flashback to being in the concentration camp when the Germans would separate people, who's going to live and who's going to die. And here they are again, years later, 30 some years later, and they're witnessing how the terrorists are saying, okay, if you're, if you're not Jewish, you go to this side and, and you'll live. And if you're Jewish, you're going here. And they're, uh, so their, their ransom but that they were asking for, they wanted 53 prisoners that were being held uh, in Israel. So these are terrorists that were being held in prisons in Israel and a few other countries in the region. Uh, they wanted all 53 prisoners to be released and then they'll release the hostages. If not, they said... By July 1st, we're going to begin killing the hostages one by one. Of course, in Israel, they're trying to figure out what do we do? 
do we give in to these demands? Because exactly like the story of the Maharam of Rothenberg, Rabbi Meir Ben Baruch, they knew that if you give in to these demands, what's going to happen tomorrow? They're just going to hijack another airplane, trying to take more innocent lives in exchange for whatever more it is that they're asking for, yeah. right? More terrorists, et cetera, or sure. more money. So there was a big debate as to what to do. And Israel decided that they are going to, like you said, the other option, right? They didn't have it back then, uh, 800 years ago, but now, thank God, we did. The other option was we are going to send in the elite forces, the commando unit of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. And that's exactly what they did. They sent three Hercules C-130s, giant transport planes, okay? With yeah. enough, each, uh, basically two of them were empty. One of them held 100 commandos. They land in the airport in Entebbe, Uganda. They actually drove on the, on the Hercules C-130s, they put limousines, okay? So that way they can drive up to the airport uh-huh. terminal without raising any suspicion. Right. If they come in army Humvees, you know, there's guards all around. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Uganda soldiers were also, as we said, the, the, the dictator was, was in on this. And so he's, he, he had his soldiers also protecting the, the terminal that they were being kept in. Mm-hmm. They pull up in the, in the limousines and uh, they open fire. They take control of the terminal. They take out all the hostages, put them on the transport planes. Mm-hmm. And I think, there was, I think there was 106 Jewish hostages, Jewish and Israeli hostages, and 103 of them made it out. Okay. Three of them did not make it. And one of the soldiers, one of the Israeli soldiers, in fact, the leader of the unit, his name was Yonatan mm-hmm. Netanyahu. Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister's uh, older brother, actually, he was also hit. He was, he was uh, hit by, by a bullet and he eventually died on the way back to Israel. But they got all of these hostages out and they came back to Israel and they literally pulled off the greatest, uh, one of the greatest rescues ever to be done in, mod- in modern history. So there you have it. It, it. It's, you know, it was the other option that unfortunately was not an option in the times of- Right, if it was, a lot of things could be different. Absolutely. So that took place this week as well, directly connected. It's interesting. Another thing that happened this week, Friday, the 8th of Tammuz, the Spanish Inquisition. Noah, you're familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Spanish Inquisition began in the uh, 1400s. Uh, 1492 is the year that's famous for the when it really went into effect. Anyone living in Spain, any Jew living in Spain was given a choice either convert or leave the country. Those were your choices. And if you stay behind and you're not converting, then you'd be killed. And it was, Spain had a beautiful Jewish community at the time. Um, And most of the, many of the people fled. There's actually speculation that Columbus himself was Jewish and he was leaving to get away from that. A lot of the Jewish people living in Spain at the time went undercover and called themselves the like secret Jews that became known as Moranos. And they would, you know, during the day dress as, as uh, Christians, uh, but secretly in hiding when they were able to, they would gather in the cellars and they would celebrate a Shabbat or maybe just the Passover Seder or the Yom Kippur services one or two or three times a year, as much as they were able to. Uh, but when they were discovered, if they were discovered, they were burned publicly 
in the middle of the city, burned at the stake for everyone to see. That was the Inquisition. So it started in 1492, right. but it ended this week on the eighth day of Thomas, which is Friday this week mm-hmm. in the year, get ready for this, 1834. Wow. It literally went for 350 years. And that's not something that people are aware of. Up until 1834, the Spanish Inquisition was still active in some way. And in that year, the office of the Spanish Inquisition was abolished by Queen Mother Maria Cristina of Spain. Wow. So we're not, I mean, this started a long time ago. But this yeah. really didn't end a long time ago. Not really. So there's a lot to talk about here. One more, one more historic event that took place this week, and then I want to ask the big question. You know what that is. So this uh, on Sunday again of this week, the 3rd of Tamas, is the day that in 1994, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, passed. It's the day of his yard site, the anniversary of passing. And that is a major historic Jewish historical event because the Rebbe, as he was as he was known, as he was referred to, was the most influential Jewish leader in our time. He he was born in 1902 in Ukraine, former Soviet Union, what is now Ukraine, and he came to America and he, right after the Holocaust. He escaped the Holocaust on the last boat going out, pretty much. And he, after, after the Holocaust, he said, we are going to find every single Jewish person. We're going to seek them out with love, just like Hitler sought them out with hatred. And that was his mission, to reunite the Jewish people, to re-energize, rejuvenate the Jewish people, and build up the hope, build up the Jewish pride and Jewish life to where it is today. And he did that by establishing thousands of Jewish centers around the world referred to as Chabad houses. And that's what, right. I mean, you know what it's all about. Yeah. That's what it is. And not only is it still around today, but it's actually growing every year. There's more and more Chabad centers. I remember I saw um, a joke. It was someone landing on, on the moon and seeing a Chabad on the moon. (laughs) There you go. I mean, look, Jeff Bezos is going to the moon blue origin, right? His uh, space company. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, let's see what he finds up there. Right. Yeah. Maybe I wouldn't be surprised if there was a lot up there. There's actually three seats. I don't know if you read this. There's three seats on that first uh, um, trip that they're taking. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos is going together with his brother, and there's one more seat up for auction. $28 million was the winning bid, but it's anonymous. So yeah. maybe it's a Chabad rabbi who's in that third seat. He's going to start <laughs> building one right now. Get ahead of the game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But just to share one story, Noah, with you uh, that I think ties us ties up together ties together with uh, some of the other things we talked about tonight. Um, in the 1950s, late 1950s, perhaps early 1960s, in the island of Curacao in the in the Caribbean, Jewish there is a lot of Jewish history in in, in the Caribbean islands. Yeah, Curacao is one of those um, islands that has a rich Jewish history because there's a synagogue there that dates back a couple hundred years. And it's people that escaped Spain, the Inquisition. Mm. They were looking for a place to live where they're free to practice. So they arrived in Curacao and they built a little community and they built a synagogue. And mm. in that synagogue, they made the floor entirely out of sand. Okay. 
because the sand would muffle the sound, the noise, and they were still living in fear of people finding them while they're praying. And till this day, that synagogue is still there and there's sand on the floor wow, of the synagogue. Still sand, okay. Still sand. So they're, they're, you know, as we said before, 1834, the Spanish Inquisition was abolished and uh, it really carried on for a very long time. And, and it stuck with people wherever they went. I guess a form of PTSD. You know, they're in a place where they're allowed to, you know, there's, they're allowed to, uh, to pray, but yet they're, they're still fearful of the, uh, the Spanish Inquisition. So in the island of Curacao in the 19, late 1950s, early 60s, there was just a few Jewish families and there was no Jewish school. There was no rabbi. They had a synagogue, but there was no rabbi, no Jewish school. And they would go to the local Catholic school. And at one point, one of the families there, there was a, a young boy, a teenager by the name of Eli Groisman. And he put up a fight one day and he said, I am not going to the religious sessions at this Catholic school. I'm Jewish. I will always remain Jewish. And I'm not going to the classes where they talk about religion or the prayers. And of course, the uh, administration of the school made a big deal about it. All the students have to attend all the classes. And it became a big deal. The young Jewish student not going, doesn't want to go to uh, Catholic classes, etc. So the father of this boy was distraught. He didn't know what to do because they were threatening to kick his son out of the school. There was no other school for him to go to. He didn't know what to do. <clears throat> he went to the synagogue. He goes up to the Arn Kodesh, the Ark, where the Torahs are, and he starts crying. And he says, God, please, I need help. What should I do? Pause for a minute. In New York at that time, in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. Rabbi Schneerson, the Rebbe, was sitting in his office and he called in a young yeshiva student by the name of Rabbi Moshe Kalarsky, who today is uh, runs the outreach division of Chabad. And he's called him into his office. He said, I need you to go to Curacao, to the island of Curacao, without any details or instructions of what to do there. The Rebbe said to go. He takes someone with him. He gets on a plane. He goes. He comes to the island of Curacao. He lands there. He doesn't know where to go. So he tells the taxi driver, take me to the Jewish community. The, the cab driver takes him to the synagogue, drops, all, drops him off in front of the synagogue. And there he sees a man coming out of the synagogue. And he says, excuse me, where can I find the Jewish community? And the man looks at them and his face turns white. And he says, who sent you here? And he said, the Lubavitcher Rebbe sent me here. He brings him to his house. He tells them exactly what they're going through, the big dilemma that they have. And Moshe Kalarsky says to him, well, do you want to send him to a Jewish school, to yeshiva? And he says, yes, but we don't have any here. He says, will you send him with me to New York? I'll take care of him. I'll make sure he's in a Jewish school. The father of the boy says, yes. The boy agrees. They take him back to New York with him. He continues to study there. And the father, a little while later, sent a message, a letter to the Rebbe saying, thank you for remembering and thinking about an insignificant Jew in the small island of Curacao. And the Rebbe responded to him and said, there's no such thing as an insignificant Jew. Every Jew is part of the Jewish family, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And there's no such thing as an insignificant Jew. So Noah, that's what we do here at Stockton, huh? We go out there, we find the Jewish students, and we let them all know that there's no such thing as an insignificant Jew. And all this inspiration comes from the Rebbe. So you have a strong connection to the Rebbe. I have a strong connection to the Rebbe and all the students who come to the Chabad house, whether it's for a Shabbat dinner, for a Torah class, for a really fun Purim party, whatever it may be, any exposure to Judaism that we share with the students is really with that inspiration and his vision of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So it's definitely a major day in Jewish history. Awesome. A lot going on this week. Just a typical week in Jewish history. But yes, the big question is, why should we care? From your perspective, yeah. why, sh- why is this important to, to remember, to think about, to learn about? Well, I mean, for starters, like you said earlier in the episode, um, you know, life is, is constantly changing. There's constant changes every day. You know, you never know what, what, what's going to happen in the day. You know, there's one thing that us being Jewish, we can look at as our one constant. Because like you said, no matter what you do, whether you convert or not, you're still Jewish. Um, even if you don't believe it yourself. So uh, even though life is constantly changing, it's important to stick with the one constant that we can all, I guess, agree upon, which is the fact that we're Jewish. And it's important to look back and, and, and see how we got here because it wasn't an easy road and it's still not an easy road. And we're still facing obstacles. Honestly, it's, I wouldn't say it's at an all time high, but it's, it definitely hasn't gotten any better. Um, so I guess it's just important to rep what you are and, and, and believe in what you are every day and, and keep that as the one constant that you have going. Cause you know, everything else changes on the fly. You know, like you said, with the, the story from the kid from Curacao, like just getting that opportunity, you know, just because he was Jewish, um, you know, everyone's there for each other. Like, we're all one. So we all got to act like one. It, it's so important. Absolutely. We got to stick together right. and uh, and look out for each other and care for each other. And like, and like the Maharam of, of Rothenberg, who literally, he said, no, it, it, by me accepting the bribe and going out of prison, That'll just result in other people being being right. imprisoned unfairly in the same way. Right. So he said, "This is about this is about the Jewish people as a whole." Mm-hmm. He sacrificed himself for the bigger picture. Yeah, and thank God we're not really required to do, to do that in today's day and age in the right. same way. I mean, I, we just talked about Entebbe and you know, look at Israel today. Um, there's a lot of people that hate us. Mm-hmm. And yes, the, our brothers and sisters in Israel and the IDF are literally risking their lives. They are risking their lives to protect us. And I say us because, you know, the, the people who hate Israel don't just hate Israel. They really, you know, it, it's anti-Semitism. Um, and so it's Jews around the world who they don't like. And so while our brothers and sisters in the land of Israel are, are protecting and giving their lives putting their lives on the line, literally. So for, uh, for you know, a young Jewish uh, college student in the U.S. doesn't have to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But, we, but we can put up our own sacrifice. And you said it before, having your Star of David, your Jewish necklace out, or wearing a kippah on right. campus, mm-hmm. or wrapping, wrapping tefillin, 
the small stuff doesn't take much you know even if it's one thing it's better than zero exactly people think judaism is all or nothing it's a big mistake it's a mm-hmm. very big mistake you know it's all about one mitzvah at a time each mitzvah makes you a stronger prouder jew and each mitzvah brings you a little bit closer to your inner self mm-hmm. your neshama your soul and that in your connection with god right and i think if we if we continue to focus on that idea you know talk about joshua yeshua stopping the sun right god literally does miracles for us on a daily basis whether it's stopping the sun mm-hmm. or you know the rescue in entebbe yes you can say israel's got incredible special forces and you know their commandos are the best in the world yes you can say that and then that's true but you have to realize i mean someone would be blind to not realize that that's a miracle to pull that off is just a miracle and uh the miracles happen for us on a daily basis all the time seems like all the time there's a jewish miracle even nowadays shows that you know god's there absolutely people are very quick to try to you know explain it away and uh, we got to appreciate the miracles in our life on a daily basis. And we have to appreciate the miracles for the, you know, that we experience as a Jewish people. And that's why one of my favorite prayers is the one that we say first thing in the morning. Do you know which one it is? Modani. That's right. What does it mean? Modani means I give thanks. I give thanks to God. Thank you, God, for another day. It's that gratitude. It's that awareness that God put me here for a reason for a purpose and I have to be appreciative of it. I have to be thankful for it and I have to utilize the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that applies to each of us individually and that applies as a, as a Jewish people as a whole, we have a purpose to be a light onto the nations. It started with Abraham, the first Jew, and we're continuing it till this day. And uh, I think uh, slowly, but surely it's rubbing off on the world. Slowly, like at a snail's pace, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. And people look at the world today and say, oh my gosh, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. We're in terrible times. And we, there's a lot of terrible things happening. But at the same time, you look at the fact that there's so much good happening in the world, more than has ever happened in history. You know how much charity is being given? Right. It, it, billions and trillions of dollars are being given to charity around the world. That's never happened in history at a rate that we're seeing today. keep climbing too which is good to see. Exactly. So I think that wraps it up for tonight. You have, there you have it folks, a number of interesting events that took place this week in Jewish history, some insight from Noah, Noah Mays. And we hope that tonight's podcast makes you feel a little bit more connected to your Jewish history, to your Jewish roots. Join us next week as we have another student, a guest co-host, and we talk about next week's Jewish history. Shalom.